trying to make it right These people won't let me go I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow I'm just trying to make it right These people won't let me go Let me grow, let me go Let me grow, let me go They should know, they should know They should know, they should know I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow Welcome to the Tea with Brie. I'm your host, Brie. Thanks for listening. The Tea with Brie podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sit down with a different guest in order to have those conversations. Every week, we'll start my guest's bio, an intro into how you know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they brought to me that week. This week, I am joined by my guest, Grace Aguilar. Grace Aguilar uses she, her pronouns as a first-generation Honduran American from New Orleans. Cooking was introduced to her at a young age growing up in her godmother's restaurant, Damonico's, what is now known as Emerald's Damonico's. Founder of Better Say Grace Private Dining and Fine Catering based in Austin, Texas, which focuses on planning and executing memories in the comfort of people's homes. Better Say Grace caters to company team builders, weddings, birthdays, and events. Grace has been featured on Tastemade, The Kitchen, and Yay Hound, where her recipes and food have been showcased. She loves recipe development and food history, tying her political science degree and culinary degree together. Finally, we're here. <laughs> here we are. It, it was going to happen. We had, it was, <laughs> we were going to make it happen, if anything. Well, hello. Hi. Um, we did not pick a topic only because I always let my guest pick the topic. And I think when we talked last time, you're like, I don't know. And I was like, we'll figure it out before we record. And here we are. <laughs> Well, I'm down for improvisation. <laughs> great, great. Um, Fine with that. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. So I'm from New Orleans and uh, Hurricane Katrina happened. And so I was 12. So we ended up having to evacuate. And, you know, we were just chilling in Houston because my brother lived there. And then all of a sudden that became home for like six months. Um and then my mom, my parents are older, so Houston was too much for her. And so we moved back to Louisiana and I had another brother who um, lived in Lafayette, Louisiana, which is a smaller town. Um, and yeah, she was just feeling things out and we ended up staying there. I was really upset because <laughs> it's just like moving from like, I don't know, like, a you know, somewhere that's fun and you have the freedom to do certain things to, you know, a small town, like it was crazy. So yeah, I, I did that move. And then um, I grew up there. I went to college in Lafayette and then I ended up moving to Austin once, uh, once I graduated. Yeah. <laughs> I, I went to New Orleans for the first time this year. And I loved it. We were there for only three days. And I was, it was just three days was enough for me. I'm like, it was, yeah. I'm not, I'm not like a party girl anymore. I'm 31 now I'm old, but <laughs> it was, it was so nice. The food was great. The weather is so funny to me. Like it was sunny, gorgeous. And then it would like downpour for five minutes and then I go back to sunny. I'm like, okay, sure. But 
Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. New Orleans is a very temperamental, like me. <laughs> like, like, the- <laughs> like me. It's straight up, it's straight to the point. I'm going to give you this rain. I'm going to give you the sunshine, and you're going to take it. That's sure. how it is. <laughs> I love it. I think also I would, I'm trying to think of topics. I think a mix between your business, because I'm obsessed with everything you cook. So I need to talk about that for 30 hours. Um, and then like living in Texas as a black person and well, living in Austin specifically as a black person and doing this and feeling like there's not that black culture there. And I think we're kind of on a comeback sort Mm -hmm. of. How, how does that feel to you? Okay, so I'm, I'm going to correct you on one thing. Okay, sorry, yeah. No, you're okay. So I am actually Honduran. <gasps> you're right. I did read that. Okay, yeah. person of color. I'm, we can work I'm, with this. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I I identify as I've gotten older as Afro-Latina. Mm-hmm. You know, that wasn't a thing growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like very hidden. And then I didn't discover, because I, like I told you earlier, my, my parents are a little older, so I didn't really get to know my grandparents like that Mm -hmm. and so I really only grew up with knowing both of my grandmothers uh my grandfathers I never I had never met and so my mom didn't really tell me till I was like 20 that uh my grandfather was African descent he was Afro-Latino from the diaspora um his culture is Garifuna uh which is very very popular in in that region but um yeah, I didn't know that. And I was like, mom, why didn't you tell me that? And it makes sense because it's like certain things like my hair, my mom's hair. I'm just like, it all makes sense. But I just, you know, I just, I, they don't tell you these things, yeah, right? If, you, if like, you don't know, you don't know. Parents just like tuck it away and they're like, oh, I forgot to tell you that. And I'm like, okay, whatever. So then um, anyways, yeah. But moving to Texas, uh, well, Austin specifically, it was a culture shock because there's just so much flavor, so much, you know, identity and like who, who you are, um, that moving to Austin was just kind of, I don't want to, the only word that comes up is like bland. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. In all aspects, you know, like, I don't know, like it, it was, and when I moved, there wasn't really like much going on um it was it's not till now that everything's kind of like booming right and but even Austin I'd say that it was booming when I moved so it's crazy Mm -hmm. but um yeah so just moving here was just a culture shock um and I think that's when I honestly started cooking because I would go eat out at places and I would just get disappointed I as like a a Louisiana native (laughs) so spoiled with fresh seafood uh and with flavor with seasoning (laughs) yeah so that was a rough patch uh and I I just you know I I just started cooking because why not because I felt like I could do it better and that was like my challenge I was like I would go eat out and I would be like nah I can make that better Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that's how that started yeah, I I feel that <clears throat> so much. Like I grew up in the Northeast, like I was telling you before, of like the Northeast is such a melting pot. Mm. And so I grew up around people who are Italian, Puerto Rican, Mexican, Jamaican, black, like just so many different 
cultures up north and like mm-hmm. being able to go into like a Chinese the restaurant has been owned for like six generations. So like it's like very yeah. much and steeped and like same with like Puerto Rican food. There's this one spot where I grew up where I went to where I worked in Bridgeport and I could walk and they only spoke Spanish. So I had to learn my order in Spanish in order to <laughs> order it. Um, but then same thing, like moving to Austin and I moved there in 2016. It's like this, the city had already been like, like people are saying like, quote unquote, booming. Um, but for me, like it was such a culture shock of like not being able to like find places and having to like literally search and then learning how diverse Austin used to be. And then like the last couple of years, we've seen this city really boom and become like this. I hate to say it, but like mini LA from what I've been hearing from a lot of people who visit, it's like really losing that sort of Southern charm. And I think it's really different from like Dallas and Houston. Like I feel like Dallas and Houston have a lot more grit, which I think it's because they have a lot more people of color. Um, But, you know, not being able to kind of have that experience, which is like, I think why I was so obsessed with your Instagram. I was like, yes, let me watch a person of color living in Austin, cook food that has like so much soul in it right like we see all these like chain restaurants and you know you really lose that sort of small batch feeling into it which is like why I love like small mom and pop places like people places that are like family owned but I feel like we are losing that in Austin because it's becoming so quick paced like people just like don't have the time to be bothered by these smaller places which makes me really sad that's also how I grew up like you knew the restaurant down the town down the street because you went to school with their kids. And so, you know, like that's literally putting food into the mouth of their families. And so it's yeah. like that catch 22 of like living in this city that isn't that diverse, um, mm-hmm. but also like trying to find if it's like worth staying in. And I feel like I'm constantly like, do I want to live here? Do I not want to live here? Yeah. That back and forth. I think, um, I think with, I think what, especially with what COVID has taught us, even I think with mom and pops, you have to learn how to uh, assimilate a little bit Mm. to get the attention of those people. And I think, because I still want, I always want to give out that feel because that's who I am as a person. Like I want people to feel welcomed and I want to know everyone with like on a first name basis. And that's the mom and pop feel right but I think where people get stuck is like still staying in that system of how their like their restaurant functions and I think with all these other restaurants coming in that are fast-paced I think restaurants those mom and pop restaurants need to kind of take some you know some of those systems that those fast-paced restaurants are if they're trying to survive Mm -hmm. especially in the city you know, and not and not fully give in because they can't those fast paced restaurants will never be those mom and pop restaurants, you know, but it's like, you know, it's like you said, that catch 22, you got to know what to take and what to use to for those restaurants to survive. And that's what happened during COVID. They had to like, like really recreate and rebrand their whole like system to survive, which was a big thing for sure. Yeah, I think it, you you really saw like the frustration with people, like a lot of the smaller businesses weren't able to do like online orders right away, right? Like they didn't know how to like 
like you're saying, assimilate into survival mode because this is, you know, these places have been around for 30 years and they've been doing what worked for them. So having to relearn systems, well, I don't know. I think I just like romanticize like small businesses. I'm like, just literally, it's just like, for me, it's just such historical context all the time. Like, especially like if it's a family that is a family of color and seeing like, and knowing how difficult it probably was for it to start and survive all these years. I'm just like, please support local, especially if they're doing this work, which I think is like why people love like black restaurant week so much that, you know, Austin black, um, Austin justice coalition, like always highlights. And I'm always like, okay, I'm going to try something new. Cause even living here six years, I still don't know and haven't tried everything. Right. Like you, you go to your favorites and that's what you kind of always do. But like during that week specifically, I'm like, okay, we're going to branch out and find something new, but yeah. So did you go to culinary school? Did you just learn to cook? I'm always like super fascinated about those sort of stories too. So I'm in culinary school right now, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I, so I grew up in a restaurant. Um, My my godmother, uh, she owned a restaurant in New Orleans. My mom was her housekeeper. And so my mom worked for her for a long time. And then surprise, she got pregnant with me. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I was like late in the game in their lives. Like my brothers are 10 and 15 years older than me. So like, I always say I'm like the stepchild, like I'm like the the, the adopted child because I don't, I've always felt like I wasn't really a part of their family. Mm-hmm. Just They had their family, you know? And then once I was born, they kind of just went up and like left to college. Like, you know, I only spent time with them in the house for like five years and then they were out. And so, um, yeah, so my, my mom, uh, she got pregnant and she my god her boss was like hey yeah you know like let me be the godmother because she didn't have kids Mm -hmm. yeah so that happened and I would just run around in the kitchen and you know all the cooks like uh I always like love mentioning Jitterbug they had this line cook his name was Jitterbug (laughs) and uh he would uh he would always be like hey you want some you want some gumbo you I I got you I got you a little bowl and I'm like yes so um you know I would always just be this scraggly little kid in the kitchen in the restaurant running around my godmother is really strict though so she would always just be like like she I felt like she was my mom (laughs) because she would always just be she was she was Italian and so she was just very like strict old school Italian woman um but um yeah so the owners were two sisters um and uh, my godmother's name is uh, Mrs. Rose and her sister was Miss Angie. So everyone, everyone knew Miss Rose and Miss Angie, like everyone knew them. Um, that restaurant had been around for a hundred years, like over a hundred years. So oh, passed down by like her family. And uh, it's, it was Delmonico's on St. Charles. And so before Katrina hit, they actually sold it to, to Emerald. Yeah, so then it became Emerald's Delmonico, which it's crazy that they even they did that literally like maybe two years before Katrina hit. And I know that like that that saved them so much time because they would have had to deal with all that. But they were getting older, too. And so, um, yeah, that was kind of like my my life up until I was 12. I was just running around in the restaurant going back and forth in the streetcars like that was my mom's means of transportation so 
you would just go back and forth um, doing that. And then after Katrina, that kind of like faded away. And I mean, at that time, like you're met after all the trauma and like all the, you know, just you're just trying to block certain things away. I kind of forgot about that. Mm-hmm. And I kind of really got into politics. It's crazy. Like makes sense. Think, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, all all the all the, everything that happened, I was just so like into like I'm like, no, we need to know the root. Like, what's this? I was just I was just so into that. And I actually went uh, I graduated in political science um, and then I moved to Austin to pursue law. <laughs> And, um, you know, I had the, I had the post-graduation feels Mm -hmm. for like a year. Um, I was like in a deep hole. Um, I didn't have like the, like any energy to go and try to get, you know, take my LSAT and go to college and go back to school. So I just, I had, I needed something to fill my cup. Mm-hmm. and I would wake up and I would I would go cook like it was just felt so natural and I'm like where does this come from like I never cooked in college you know like I would cook my ramen noodles and stuff but <laughs> like <The> priorities cook, <laughs> yeah but to cook a whole gourmet meal no like that was never a thing uh, I never had time I had three jobs and I was just like running around I was on the go um, I was very social in school so yeah once I I moved to Austin I think I had a time to like like everything just like came all at once like Mm -hmm. everything I've been like maybe just putting in the back burner or just feelings that I was just avoiding I was in a new city by myself um and so yeah everything just came all at once and I'm like oh it's like when you wake up after like drinking all night it just like I just felt hung over of like of life Mm -hmm. and yeah I would just wake up and then I would go cook and and I as like I would just get into it more and more every day and like I told my fiance I was like you know like me cooking right now it makes I I honestly forgot that my life was in a kitchen for Mm -hmm. 12 years and it's just like it was so crazy how I forgot about that 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 time in my life um and it just brought back and it like filled my cup so much. Um, and that's honestly how it started. And I, I had started working in kitchens. Like I always worked front of house, um, like as a server during college. But once I moved here, I kind of switched. I was like, you know what? I'm going to start working in kitchens. And so then I just wanted to get classically trained and, and learn techniques. Um, <clears throat> and so... I, I went to culinary, I started culinary school two years ago. So I graduate next semester. Yeah. I have so much I want to touch and talk (laughs) about. Okay. So I too sort of grew up in kitchens. I've always like, my family's black. So I've been cooking since forever because my whole family cooks. Um, but then I also wanted to be a chef. Like at the high school I went to, we had um, a, cl- a class called restaurant and we literally had a restaurant in school where you could do back of house and front of house and it was swapped every week. And so it was like a two, two period class. So first period, we would like prepare all the stuff. Like we'd have to come into school early, prepare everything. And then like, we would do the back of house and front of house and we'd be open for like three periods. It was a whole thing. I, I just unlocked that memory as we're talking about it. Um, Cause it was a lot. Um, mm-hmm. but then I wanted to go to, I thought I wanted to own a restaurant. And then my 
stepmother's best friend owned a seafood restaurant two towns over. So I worked there for two summers and I was like, no, I don't want to own a restaurant. I just want to. It's so much. And like, so I was back of house. And so I was in charge of, it was a seafood restaurant. So I had to kill crabs, like fresh crab. I prepped all the calamari. I did dish. I did trash. Like I did all the back of house stuff to like essentially earn your rank. Right. Like, and then I did catering for a long time. My best friend is a chef and he was the head chef at a catering restaurant. So I did catering for a while. Um, I've worked at a bunch of restaurants in Austin, just part-time when I first moved there. And everyone's always like, I forget you worked at restaurants. I go, I, I think my like longest career has been in like service, like in, in food service work, because it's just like mm-hmm. a job. I think everyone should have to work in a restaurant or in, um, retail like I feel like you would just have a better understanding for people yeah. and patients um but even now like I obviously like I don't do cooking full-time which maybe it's a retirement dream um <laughs> I love it so much but for me like cooking's always been some sort of therapy right like I can go and cook and like it's a thing I do for people like if I want to cook for someone because I love them or I cook because I'm upset or when I'm really anxious I'll go bake something because it like takes my mind off of something and I can process like longer when baking because you have to like focus um but you saying that I was like yes like cooking for is like a form of therapy like you're saying like it uh, it allowed you like to go back and realize like everything you learned growing up and and then you talked about politics and you going into political science, that made me think of like right now I'm thinking about leaving Austin, but I'm not hundred percent sure. And I realized it's cause like I, when I first moved to Austin, I only knew my best friend. He had lived there with his boyfriend. And so when I moved there, I only knew the two of them, but the last six years I've like been super involved between like activism and doing all these different things and working at a bunch of nonprofits. So I've always wanted to run for office, but only in Texas specifically like would run for office in in Austin um but I know a lot of the reasons why I want to run is personal and people like politics can't be personal like everything about politics is personal every single thing every single reason people get into office is personal right and right now Cori Bush who is the congresswoman out of Missouri um I actually had a call with her two years ago because I was working at this um, political company and I'm obsessed with her, not part of the story. Um, but like watching her and just being like, frick, like I think I want to do Congress, but I don't want to live in DC. And so it's like these constant things, but you saying like you got into politics after Katrina makes perfect sense because we watched the system fail. Yeah. You watched it fail you. I've watched this last couple of years in Texas, like it continually fail, you know, reproductive justice wise, um, LGBTQA plus issues, mm-hmm. any sort of equality thing. So it makes so much sense that like we want to get into politics because we have suffered trauma at the hands of people who should have been looking out for us. That was like my tangent on. <laughs> yeah. And else to do something about it, but us, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and these people keep getting into office that have no clue, no clue what's going on. None. And just want to make laws that affect who? Not them, you know? And, and it's like, I just, I hate when people are like, oh, I'm not political. And I'm like, politics affects all of us on our daily daily commute to work, mm-hmm. on our daily commute to, I don't know, like, it's just- Bre- Walking outside is political. Like the air you are breathing is political because of- The, the water we drink is political. It doesn't have to, it, it has, it's like- Oh, they're like, it doesn't have to be like 100% clean. Like the food that we eat, 
the food Sorry. that we eat, like the USDA mm-hmm. like regulations, they are not a hundred percent like accurate to for our health. And I'm just like, yeah, mm-hmm. don't you? I just it's, it's just a lot. Like, well, I'll have to have you back to talk about politics because I could tangent for days about it because like. Heck, we'll tangent now. So my thing is, I have all, like, I've been into politics since I was like, maybe 10. Um, and it happened with the Gore Bush election, which mm-hmm. everyone's like, you were 10. I'm like, I know, but hear me out. So <laughs> I was in school and I grew up again in this very progressive, I grew up in Connecticut. So very progressive, very liberal, um, very diverse. T- I grew up in a very diverse town, um, but I was sitting in fifth, fifth grade, sixth grade, at fifth grade. And my teacher said to us, if you could vote today, who would you vote for? And 10 year old me is like, I've known these people my whole life. We grow up, we go to the same school, we hang out. Like, there's no way none of us are like, there's no one's going to vote for Bush. The way I was gobsmacked to see like (laughs) five to six hands raised for Bush at 10. And I was like, what? And like, I still think about it. Like now everyone's like, what? I'm like, just to see that you could be having very similar experiences living in the exact same place and still have different political affiliations to my, like, I think that's why I went to sociology, why I'm like such an activist. And like my family was super involved in civil rights movements. Um, the past, my godfather's a pastor and the church that he pastors at is his late father's church. And that church since 1971 has been having, um, a love march in honor of MLK jr. And so I've been marching since I was like five. So I've been like, it's been like this perfect storm of like, Bray's going to be into politics. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm like thinking about actually running, mm-hmm. which is such like a weird thing to say out loud still. Um, if you need help, like with any of that. This is why don't. I like. No, I, because I, yeah, just let me know. I, uh, this is me letting you know, because like, I am such a believer of like, God or universe will bring you to people that you're meant to talk to because I've been literally the last week thinking about this because I got a new job offer um, for this job up in the Northeast and thinking about taking it, but I've not been able to stop thinking about you and run for office. Why are you running from Texas? And like just sitting, been alone a lot of the time last this last week. And so just sitting and listening, I'm like, I want to run for office, but the way that you were just saying of like, people like, I can't do it. And how that seeps into your brain so much, especially like me being black and a woman and queer and having sort of loan debt and not coming from money. And just that sort of like, if you are not a white, wealthy, cisgender, heterosexual white dude, you shouldn't run for office. And I hate that. And so Sissy Cori Bush every single day, she's been like my, like, it's like her and Oprah, like on my vision board right now. <clears throat> just like, just do it. Like, what is the worst that could happen? You don't win, but you running could give someone else the hope to run. So anyway, that's my tangent about politics right now. No, I, uh, I, I can relate to that in so many levels um, because I remember like being in, in class when I was taking up like one of my poli sci classes and everyone would just be like, oh, just, you know, instead of like running, just become a lobbyist, become a lobbyist. And I'm like, it's so much more money and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, and then I would see like, you know, lobbyists would come in and like promote whatever they were promoting. I'm just like, they are so sleazy. Mm-hmm. Like, ugh, I, what, like, does this, I get that there's money involved, but I don't care about the money. Like I, 
I've never had money growing up. So why would I be so worried about now? And like, yes, the goal is to be successful, but also like money is not what I'm like, oh, I need money. This is yeah. Like, and so now moving into like a very creative artistic world, it's the same thing. I walk into kitchens and it's all white men. There's maybe mm-hmm. like, you know, two women in there. And if there are women, they're like the lowest level that you could be. And I've worked in kitchens where I've worked my ass off. And here comes this white man that applied and took my position that I was mm-hmm. working. So that's why I'm just so big on like, well, if you don't have a lane for me, I'm going to create my own. And that's what I've been doing just, and it's hard fucking work, but it's so much more fulfilling than having to like appease someone that from day one didn't believe in you right? or day one, maybe they did believe in me, but they just knew that I was never going to fit the mold that they created in that position. So I think it's just like what I discovered in that moment is like any any position, any career that I choose, it's going to be the same thing. It's going to be the same thing. Um, like that smacked me so hard in the face. And I'm just like, I was so naive, <laughs> so green. And, you know, I'm, I'm such a person of like giving the benefit of the doubt. Um, but I don't have time for that anymore. <laughs> no, no. And it's also like. I always, I've been feeling constantly lately, <clears throat> like it's almost like people are, are offended that I have the nerve quote unquote mm-hmm. to like dream big and to like create space for myself and how I was literally just talking to a friend earlier about like how white is the default. And I hate that. And I feel like my existence and the things that I've been doing is to like, try to push that envelope. It's so, like, you're saying like, I read an article once about like how men, specifically white men, up, like apply 52% higher for jobs they don't qualify for than women. And that's because I'm just like the, uh, the audacity of men, number one, and then number two, white men. I'm like, you know what? Let me have that sort of energy lately. Right. And then we see yeah. freaking 45 was president and had no political experience at all. And I'm just like, prime example. Prime <laughs> example. And then I'm always like, you know, I feel like people should have but I, I was talking to another friend about the gatekeeping around politics is like, you have to sort of like pay your dues in order to get into office. And like, but that, and that's what the problem is, right? Like we see how successful, like Cori Bush, for example, to bring her up again, like she's a perfect example. She's a, a pastor. She's a nurse. She's like had all this lived experience. And she just saw that like her congressional person wasn't listening to their, to their constituents. And so she ran. So that's how I kind of feel now with like, running for Congress in Texas specifically, like Texas is very much a state primarily of people of color, but the way that everything is like redlined and gerrymandering and how we draw districts makes it impossible for people of color's votes to actually be counted, number one. And then number two, like, I feel like Texas is very much in its like ways of like only electing white people. And we saw us like with the last congressional race and like no shade to like, I love Julie Oliver and Wendy Davis and, um, Mike Siegel who ran but none of them won and they're all white people and I'm just like at the end of the day I think I've been trying to talk myself out of it but the more I talk myself out of it the more I also talk myself into it of like people are going to see a black woman who is queer who has all these life experiences who has student loan debt who has lived in different parts of the country who Mm -hmm. believes in like all of these rights to be 
the person who runs for office and I'm just like damn (laughs) here we are so I was gonna say welcome to the south (laughs) (laughs) truly living this my whole life you know it's like everything you said and and I'm like doesn't she know this I'm like I forget she's from Connecticut (laughs) I know I live in a cute little bubble of hope (laughs) so yeah I have a lot of friends from up north and I'm just like you know like y'all are so passionate about you know like the progressiveness and I'm like "Ah, we need more of that but it's also like welcome to the south like that's always what I tell them um but no yeah when I feel like it's something that that is meant for you you're always gonna like go back and forth and like question that um because (laughs) literally saying that it's like that's been me for the past year like I didn't get a job that I wanted and I was just like like is this even for me like am I good enough like what and it's like that's what they want you to do like they want you to question yourself so that like you get in the way of yourself and it doesn't seem like it's the system that's like really getting in the way um so I just you know as shitty as it feels you know you feel like you're not I don't know like it's like impossible it's really, it's possible. It's just, we're, we're in our, we're in our own way. Mm. And the system's in our way. <laughs> I know the system's designed to hold us down, Grace. I know, I know, I know, but, but okay. yeah, you should do it. <laughs> I, I would like, I would, so like my thing, especially when COVID hit, I, I was like, okay, okay what am I going to do with myself? So I started I started selling more of like myself and my products and my food. Um, but also I always have this thing of like giving back. That's like my priority always. And like, especially when all the protests were hitting um, and the Justice Coalition, Black Justice Coalition, they were protesting. Um, I actually did a fundraiser and I I sold uh, red beans <laughs> for for money. So, and a hundred percent of the money went to the organization. Uh, I actually ended up selling $1,200 worth of red beans, which I was like, what am I, like, I was in my car and I'm like, what am I thinking? I had over like 50 plates of red beans. And I I just, after that day, I haven't, I haven't touched red beans because I just smell it from just like, (laughs) I was I was so crazy that I went deliver everywhere. Like I would, I literally delivered for eight hours. Trip. <laughs> and I'm just like, what am I doing? I'm like, okay, I need a better plan next time. But you know, things like that, like I love doing things like it. And I th- and the thing about about food that I love so much is like you can have a whole table that completely disagrees with each other but yet they're still at that table for one thing and that's food. So mm-hmm. I always, I think that's like my like secret power. I'm like, always like, nah, let me like cook for y'all. Like if y'all just say like, let me cook for y'all and let's like talk about this. Cause you know, with, with food in your stomach, you're not going to be like too angry. You're not going to like flip out on someone. I was like, you know, just having coffee or just sitting at a regular table with nothing, nothing there. So um, I think that's like my secret power and I I truly want to still get in the political world um, but I think I, I have like a different tactic which is my cooking <laughs> well listen well, well I when I have a budget I will pay you to host a uh, host meals you'll cook all the food 
We'll pay you for for your work and we'll just host dinners and people can come and talk to me and we'll talk about things. This is this is my plan. This is the we're workshopping it right now. <clears throat> but yeah. Uh thank you so much for sitting and talking with me today. I could talk to you all day. Well, when I get back, we're hanging out. So I hope you're ready because now yes. yeah. <laughs> I hang out. But I will put everything in the show notes. But before you go. I like to ask my guests a final sort of palate cleanser question. And it's a two part. So you get to pick which part you want to answer. Okay. Um, it's what is the best advice you were ever given? Or what is a piece of advice you would give to your younger self? Um, <clears throat> the greatest advice that someone told me is that just because you have a voice doesn't mean that you're saying the right thing Mm. and a piece of advice that I would give to my younger self is speak up girl speak (laughs) up (laughs) speak up I was always so like I don't know I would I low-key would worry about what people would think and I would just keep everything to myself and a part of that was I think the way I was raised, I was like, you know, I was the only girl in my family. Mm. So everything was like, Shh, no, like, right. be quiet. And I was the youngest. So I was like, be quiet. Like, don't say anything that'll make you look unladylike. And and it's funny because once I, once I was a teenager, I was like, fuck this. Like, I, I have so much shit I have to say. Like, I, I can't do this. This is, this is torture. Um, I was always super outspoken and for someone outspoken being hushed. That's a lot to ask for so that's it for this week's episode of the tea with brie be sure to follow me on instagram at the tea with brie send me an email at the tea with brie at gmail.com and visit the website the two or three podcast.com don't forget to rate review and subscribe on apple podcast or wherever you get your podcasts a special thanks to mama duke for our theme music and i will talk to y'all next week bye <laughs> <laughs>